Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us here at the Next Level Brands Podcast. Our podcast is brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf. The Kitchen to Shelf is the educational arm of Next Level Brands CPG community and a provider of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth. Whether you're an early stage startup, a local growing business, or a regional powerhouse, Kitchen to Shelf can help you learn what you need to know to grow. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. Hi, this is Steve Clear. Welcome, everyone. This is a very special show. It features one of my dear friends and someone I've had the privilege to work with for several years, Sandra Ann Harris, the founder and president of Eco Lunchbox. Eco Lunchbox is a mission-based certified B Corp consumer products company producing awesome, high-quality, eco-friendly, plastic-free food container solutions. Part of her and the company's mission is to protect the oceans by reducing consumers' dependence upon plastics. Sandra is also an author and speaker with a diverse background in business consulting, product development, digital marketing, and investigative journalism. Her recent book is titled Say Goodbye to Plastic, and she means it. Welcome to the program, Sandra. Hey, Steve. It's great to be here. Love the intro, by the way. You covered a lot there. <laughs> uh, well, you've done a lot. I mean, it, it, this is uh, this is fun. This is, I, I just, um, you know, it, it's good for us to talk about things in general and about missions and topics and advice and counsel instead of whatever the latest wholesaler thing was or sales tax issue or Amazon issue that we would normally chat about. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I have a very diverse background. And so when I do business, I, I do it um, in a kind of creative way that back into all sorts of weird things that I'm sure we're going to cover. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're going to get to it, but, I, but first of all, I want to touch on the fact, congratulations on the publication of the book um, and say goodbye to plastic. You know, it's like, okay, um, that's very hard for a lot of people to do, but give us a little bit about how you, first of all, before Eco Lunchboxes became part of this mission and then how you chose the product and stuff to address it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm what you would call an accidental entrepreneur. (laughs) I never set out to start a company. Um, Instead, I saw a need, you know, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs start that way. They're looking for something and then they don't find it and they think, wait a minute, you know, this should be available on the marketplace. And in my case, specifically, um, I was a young mother. This was in the early 2000s. So, you know, many years ago, and my son had started preschool and I was uh, sending him off with these cute little lunches. And one day I went in to pick him up from school, find him in the sandbox. And I walked through the lunchroom and horror of horrors, the trash cans were just like, you know, billowing plastic trash. I mean, all those little wrappers from the cheese sticks and the squeezy yogurts and the juice boxes and the Ziploc bags. I mean, it was like kind of a horror show. It's something that you would sort of imagine seeing maybe in a cartoon strip. I mean, literally the trash cans were just exploding and it just cried out to me. And I was like, this is just not okay. I mean, at that point, no one was really thinking about the health hazards associated with plastic and the fact that plastic is made from a petroleum-based substance um, and that it was already, of course, 20 years ago, accumulating in our oceans, though we weren't talking about it. 
I just thought it was just a big mess and I wanted to do something about it. And so that's how I stumbled into the concept of doing um, eco lunchbox and plastic free food containers. Um, yeah. So, so the, 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 the obvious, um, the, the obvious enemy being lunch bags, because lunch bags are just so, um, they are so ubiquitous and they are, you know, such a, a waste in that sense, but okay. So now you think of the alternative, where did your thought process go? How did you begin to come up with the idea of the containers, you know, for, for that purpose originally, but then across the food spectrum? Well, the first thing I did was to start to research plastic um, because I was an investigative journalist and I have a master's uh, from Ohio State. They have a kitchen hey. program for investigative journalism. Yep. I'm a Buckeye. Um, and I just started to do a deep dive into plastic, a topic that I'd never thought about. Uh, I wanted to figure out which kind of plastic I could use a reusable food container made from a plastic that was non-toxic. Um, and so I went down like millions of rabbit holes, like trying to figure out all the formulations of plastic and lo and behold, it's really confusing to know, um, you know, what chemicals are in each plastic um, because they don't publicize that. Right. Um, and around that time, um, Nalgene bottle had a recall and I remember going down to REI to buy a clean canteen water bottle and clean canteen, clean canteen is the company out of Chico, California that does the stainless steel water bottles. And they started um, in the early 2000s and they were first to market um, with a great line of water bottles and right next to their products in REI, the outdoor retailer <laughs> were the Nalgene bottles, which I had always used because I'm a backpacker, kayaker, outdoorsy person, you know, since I was a kid. And there was a big sign there that said the Nalgene bottles have been recalled because they contain something called BPA. Mm -hmm. BPA, what's that? Bisphenol A. So it's just when news was starting to break about these estrogen mimicking chemicals that are typically found in the plastic formulations. You know, until that moment, I always thought that our government would be protecting us from chemicals yeah, and yeah. toxins in products, but <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so anyway, I was like, BPA. Um, and so I started to do more research um, and looked into brands like SIG, the Swiss water bottle company. Sure, right. Yep. They had these adorable um bottles for little kids that had these cute painted designs with, you know, little airplanes and mermaids and all sorts of stuff. And they sold for a lot. Um, I mean, I'm going to say like $30 a bottle. And I had picked up a couple of those because I just thought they were so cute. And as I was drilling down into my plastic free research, I noticed that their bottles were lined with some kind of a proprietary coating. And they were uh, aluminum bottles and aluminum typically is not considered um, food safe. Um, and they had lined it with a proprietary coating. Um, long story short, many emails later, um, I learned that it was a plastic. So just trying sure. to kind of sift through, you know, what you see and what you get and what was safe. And I just said, we need to simplify things. And I want to bring to market a line that's 100% plastic free food containers that are healthy for people and the planet. Just keep it simple, stupid, you know, no good plastic, bad plastic. Let's not get technical here. Um, a high quality 
stainless steel, food safe, you know, wouldn't have any of the bad, you know, stuff we would tip it. Uh, so kids and their families couldn't enjoy lunch. Cause you think about these little hands reaching to open plastic containers, the foods in the plastic container, the hand grabs the food, the hand goes in the mouth. There's a lot of like back and forth between sure. plastic when little kids are eating, especially. And so I launched in 2008 Eco Lunchbox um, with a few um, stainless steel food containers um, that would accommodate um, a small sandwich and two little side dishes. Because my target audience at that point was young children, because that was the need I was trying to fill. Now right. our line um, has containers up to eight cups. You know, it's completely uh, for all ages, the whole family. Um, it's not particularly kid-centric, although all the products are great for kids to use too. It's for everybody. So when you're you're at this point and you've, you 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 kind of know I've got to have something stainless steel and we're talk for the folks who may not be familiar with surfaces and, and metals and stuff, but stainless steel is pretty, pretty good for, right. It's, it's impermeable practically. It lasts forever. It's, you can wash it, you can do whatever you want with it. Um, so did you sit down and draw like, okay, I need something that will hold a double decker sandwich and clip in the lids or whatever. Did you go to a designer? How'd you go through the process of starting production or where'd you start production? So I, I did, I, I sketched a design because I knew that every day I packed my son with a small sandwich and two sides. Um, normally it was some kind of fruit or vegetable and then um, some kind of a, a cracker or a nut or something crunchy. And so I wanted three small portions of food um, to be packed, not touching, right? right. And so we sketched right. up a design and you probably are familiar with the traditions in India of the Tiffins. Um, the stainless steel containers. And there's this wonderful movie called The Lunchbox that talks about um, this woman packing her husband's metal uh, Tiffin lunchbox and sending it into his work and um, kind of a mysterious love affair that occurs. So it, it's a fun movie and there's a long tradition in India. And so I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get this made in India. But at that point I had a, um, I had an infant and a three-year-old and there was no way I was going to be able to go to India. So I contacted some friends of mine that are Indian and I started to try to find manufacturers um, in, and I was going to different Indian restaurants and having lunch with different people from India who had contacts who could introduce me um, to their pals who had had factories. And so that's how I started. And it turned out that what I had sketched was very similar to um, a stock product that wasn't that common in India at the time. Yeah. But somebody recognized it and they said, oh, yeah, we know exactly what you want. We have something similar. So then we started to tweak that design to get it to be the right size and shape. No sharp edges, very easy to use clips that went like snap down on some poor child's finger. Yeah. <laughs> we had to adapt <laughs> it um, to the American market. And I went through, oh. I went through three or four small shipments from various suppliers in India, and it was just one disaster after another. And I was about ready to just hang it up and it. give up. I mean, it's just the endless communication on WhatsApp. And then I would just get this junk. <laughs> you can't just send it back to India. You you know, you paid, you know, a few thousand dollars. And, so and then you, I, you can't go to every production run, right? And QC, no. right? Yeah. You're just 
trusting, you know, that they're going to deliver in in quantity and the same quality that they have shipped you as an individual sample, right? Because I was signing off on samples. And so I said, well, I'll just give it one last shot. And so I I went on to Alibaba and somehow um, I connected with this young woman uh, in her early 20s um, whose father owned a steel factory in the Chennai area. And she was so excited uh, to be working with a woman because all of her other buyers were men and most of them were from the Middle East. She never, well, she still has never come to the West. Um, it was just so much fun to, for her to be working with me that she personally took charge of my QC. Of your mission, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been working with them ever since. Um, it, I just... I'm so grateful to have met Vijaya and um, her whole family. And uh, it's just an amazing partnership, but it was pretty rough going uh, those first few shipments. And I came so close to just giving it up. And that's the production end, which is right. One whole side of the story. The other side of the story obviously is distribution, marketing, and sales. Uh, How did you tackle that? Well, um, you know, as I said, I had a very diverse background um, and I mentioned investigative journalism and I did humanitarian aid and I had done some marketing. But one thing you're not hearing is me having worked in a business. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't know much about business. Right. Um, So I decided and I would recommend that other entrepreneurs in retrospect um, follow this advice. I decided to get face to face um, with my customers with um, some of these short early runs of our product. Um, And I also had designed um, a line of lunch bags made out of artisan hand block printed fabrics from India because I sew and um, Mm -hmm. through a friend of mine um, and her contacts, I had had 100 or so made. And so I decided I need to get face to face with people. Now, this was 2008. And I know that we're in like a huge financial crisis now, but, you know, let's go back. We were then. Yes. It was was the same then. (laughs) So everyone was like, Sandra, this is a terrible time to start a business. And I said, well, you know, I'm just going to give it a shot. And, you know, the nice thing about um, financial uh, downturns is things move a little more slowly. You know, so there's it's a little easier to slowly access the marketplace when everything's right. moving in slow mo, kind of like now. Um, so I signed up um, to sell uh, my lunch bags and my lunch boxes at some local community uh, bazaars. And okay. sure. And I set up a little six foot table and I put my prices out and, you know, put my wares out and. I did um, several of them, one in San Francisco, one in my hometown and one out in the suburbs and and all the other little vendors. Remember, you know, we're in this bad financial situation. They're selling all this cute stuff and everyone's at our table. And I'm like, okay, weird, but good. (laughs) We'll, we'll, We'll take it. Yeah. yeah, we'll take it. Um, I remember when one time I had to go off to the bathroom. I was with my two little kids, you know, just tiny. And there, and I said to my son, who was like five at the time by now, I said, um, okay, you're gonna have to man the booth. Okay, Nico. He said, I got this, mom. So I went off to the bathroom, came back, he's like, I got three sales. <laughs> 
Um, but I was like, okay, if, you know, there's interest in the middle of this big downturn for what I'm doing, because it was so unusual, um, I think that there may be a broader opportunity here. And so I set up a, a big commerce website um, that started to go well. Right now, it was, you know, at that time, it was only me shipping. Right. Um, but then I needed to go on a camping trip and I realized I couldn't ship while I was in Yosemite. And so then I hired a local college kid to help me while I was gone. And then we went down to Expo West, um, the big oh, trade yes. show, yep. uh, and Whole Foods signed on. And so we got Whole Foods Northern California. And then we started to get a bunch of other Whole Foods regions. And other people through the website, you know, were contacting me and they wanted to carry the products for their stores. And it, and it just started to kind of snowball. Mushroom from there. Um, and let's make sure we mention, by the way, the, the website where people can get more information about Eco Lunchbox. Yeah. So it's ecolunchboxes.com. Um, and we have our whole product line on there. Um, the stainless steel uh, boxes from India, um, as I've described, and then a more contemporary line called the Blue Water Bento Collection, um, which is a combination of steel containers matched with silicon lids. And the silicon lids are in beautiful colors um, and embossed with ocean designs. Um, so all of our products um, are designed to be modular mix and match. Um, so they nest inside each other. Um, like that first container that I was talking about that held a small sandwich and two sides. The sandwich goes in the downstairs level, and then there's an upstairs part of the container with a little nesting container that we call the Eco Lunch Pod, and it all flips together. So that's our Eco Lunchbox Classic. That was our first product. And all of our products are, are designed to function that way so that if you're trying to store them in your kitchen, you know, it's super compact, you know, right. or if you're taking them somewhere, it's also very compact. And, and, and if you're out in the audience and you're thinking, well, I only have kids, so this doesn't really apply to me. Uh, if you're a cook at all, because I use bento boxes from my mise en place. And the great thing about it is if I grate a whole bunch of lemon and there's some left over, I just seal it and put it in the refrigerator and it stays. It's so you don't have to have kids with lunches to uh, to use the products. Right? They're, absolutely, they're just great, you know, but you know that. Um, right. And, and I'll just say, you know, now with the whole pandemic lifestyle, everyone is spending even more time outdoors. Um, and we're finding that, you know, outdoor enthusiasts, hikers, campers, you know, skiers, whatever, um, really like the non-breakable aspect of stainless then, steel. Yes, yes. And, and non-smushable when it comes to food out on, you know, on the mountain, right? Because exactly. Oh, not good. Um Sandra, in that sense, let's let's get to that a little bit deeper. Um, in terms of uh, eco-friendly products, whatever, we we were making a movement prior to the pandemic that really was was pretty pretty good. There was a lot of talk about plastic reduction, the sea of things floating out there. Um, the pandemic hits, and all of a sudden, single use. Oh my God, everything. I don't, you know, right. Um, how did that affect your business? What did it do? And what do you think the ramifications are for, you know, going forward with that? Right. Yeah. Early 2020 Q1 until about, I'm going to say March 13th, like Eco Lunchbox was taking off like a rocket. I mean, it was so exciting, you know, to be 
like 11 years in and, and just see that people were really getting it. They were no longer asking me, you know, if I was just a little OCD about the plastic and why was I so worried about it? They were actually like understanding that plastic, you know, is a major uh, threat to our environment and to our health. And the adoption um, of the plastic-free lifestyle was just like so exciting. And then, as you said, you know, the pandemic hit and since that point, um, you know, with the the PPE and, you know, the massive amount of restaurant takeout um, mm-hmm. that we're seeing um, and everyone wanting to sanitize their hands and using a lot of like disposable, you know, uh, disinfecting wipes and all of that uh, trash year over year has gone up about 30 percent, you know, that people wow. have prioritized yeah. um, sanitation over the plastic free lifestyle you know, when in reality, there are a lot of things that we can do to both keep ourselves safe as well as maintain um, a zero to low, you know, plastic um, dependence. Um, and so I, I have some blogs about that. I mean, basic stuff about reusable masks and, um, you know, trying to uh, buy hand sanitizer in bulk. Um, and like in our area, a lot of the grocery stores even stopped allowing us to bring in our own bags. Is it that way in your area, Steve? Uh, it, yes, it, it was that way, but that's recently been lifted. But yeah, it was one of the first things they did here where they're trying to train people, bring your bags, bring your bags, bring your bags. You finally get to doing it and also say, like, oh, no, don't, don't bring any of your own stuff in here, please. Thank you. Like, I know. Okay, yeah. Nice. It was pretty heartbreaking because, you know, and the bring your own coffee cup, that too. You know? Oh, that went away. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. totally went away, you know, and those were kind of like first steps um, that those of us in the plastic pollution movement were encouraging beginners, you know, to adopt as a way of starting to transition to, you know, a low or no uh, waste lifestyle, you know, all this stuff out of the house. And so the pandemic um, hit and, um, and here, you know, my book is coming out, <laughs> they go by the plastic. <laughs> survival guide for plastic free living, you know, and we're in the middle of this like global pandemic um, and no one's going, you know, to work or to school, taking their lunches, like right, they have, right. like our market opportunity. Right. Um, we've started to develop um, the, the product presence in the outdoor category um, in the last six months as a pivot. Uh, right. But anyway, it was so depressing. I just thought, Oh my gosh. And then I realized, wait a minute, Actually, this is the perfect time to publish the book because the book is divided by uh, rooms in the house. So there's a chapter. Oh, okay, right. Yep. What to do in your office, what to do in your laundry room, right. you know, what to do in your wardrobe. I counted that as a room. What to do in your bedroom, et cetera, et cetera. And so once I sort of got over the shock of seeing all the rollbacks in terms of the adoption of, you know, the plastic-free lifestyle. I'm like, okay, actually, where are we all spending the most time at home? So there's so much more that people can do um, when it comes to reducing their plastic footprint, um, you know, that involves changes at home. Simple things like not buying toothpaste in a tube, buying chewable tablets in a glass jar. Right, right. So, you know, what kind of clothing do you buy? Um, you know, what kind of laundry detergent do you use? Do you buy a big plastic bottle with liquid or do you buy seventh generation in a cardboard box? Right. You know, and choices, you can make a lot of choices even now (laughs) during a pandemic that are helpful. Well, and it's, it's also, I, I I think on, on, 
a positive note from that, and at least for food and beverage manufacturers in general, um, people are also a little more attuned because of the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic to what they're putting in their bodies and or what their food is going into and whatever. So it, it, maybe there's an awareness that comes along with that. And um, and, and I should mention to folks, by the way, is, is um, although Sandra can do, if you would like, um, a speech about the bad parts of plastic, um, the book is really more about a guide for living with less plastic. So it does go through very, very step by step and put those things together. So, um, you know, if, if you're interested in that, the book is available on Amazon, of course. Right. Yeah. It's published by an environmental publisher called Hatherley Press, and it's distributed by Penguin Random House. So it's available in Kindle or in independent bookstores, um, you know, all, all over. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, the book is about, you know, setting your GPS to live with less plastic. Um, kind of like when you get into your car and you, you set your GPS to wherever you're going you know, the book will guide you, you know, room by room to steer in that direction. Will you ever arrive at a plastic free, you know, lifestyle? Will you be zero, you know, zero, zero plastic dependent? Um, no, but that is your destination. That's where you're always, you know, trying to get to. When you were rolling out, um, 2008, 2009, and you've got initial customers, interest from wholesalers and whatever. How did you organize? It was still just you, right? How did it begin to grow? How did you add to your team? What were the, the things you had to come up against to, to you know, get the business to grow at that point? Yeah, um, well, um, it, at the risk of sounding dated, um, at that time, you know, they didn't do these cloud service software programs. Most everything was run on a local hard drive. Right. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I had to set up these like weird VPN networks, you know, so that, <laughs> you know, people could log into my system because even at that time I was um, building the business as a remote business. So when the pandemic hit, um, I already had in place robust systems so that I and all of our other team members could work from wherever they wanted. Um, we had had a, a brick and mortar office in the um, Oakland area for about four or five years, but I found that just with the cost of labor um, and the size of the business, it was really hard to retain employees. So I really needed right. uh, everyone on my team to be able to do a little bit of their favorite thing, like the marketing gal. But if I had a wholesale call come in, I also needed her to be able to answer the phone. And not everyone wants to be switch hitting, you know, from their strong suit, you know, into sales or from sales, you know, having to build an order, you know, in QuickBooks online. Right. And so in terms of like employee satisfaction and then the cost of labor and housing and, you know, they were commuting and this and that. Um, so a few years ago, I transitioned back to having the business be a remote business. And so I've been working from my home office and I have team members um, who work from their home offices, both here in California, as well as in uh, Florida and in Washington state and in other places as well. And most of them are all part-time employees with a very specific um, skill that they're right. contributing to Eco Lunchbox. And some of them are employees and some of them are independent contractors, but then everyone gets to play their strong suit. Um, and, and I found that people, you know, love to work at home um, and the, I, my team members stick around like a lot longer than 
before when they had to commute to the office and they were having to do kind of a mixed bag. I've had, um, of course, worked out of my home for a long time, um, five years, something now, five, six years. And uh, but I have friends who, you know, in CPG, whatever, who went to an office every day. Right. And when the pandemic hit and everything and they were a little confused, we would like do a Zoom call and talk, whatever. And they'd be like, wow, you know, um, yeah, I'm going to go make a sandwich and I'm going to do it as say, oh, OK. So on that uh, Brian, that marketing sheet where we were going to do the displays, can we talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. Let me get a sandwich. You know, and they were not fitting in comfortably with the idea of that. Um, because also for a lot of us who were in business, um, that was also social life, mm-hmm. right? We spent, you know, more hours probably at the office than we spent waking hours at home. So it was a, you know, a little bit of a, a tough transition there, but, um, I think we're getting through it. Okay. I, I, I don't think we're going to go back exactly. I don't think buyers are going to be doing live sampling demos and stuff with people going back. I, I think that's, you know, because they've become more efficient probably at what they're doing. And I'm just really glad that Zoom has held up. That's my one thing that, as a platform has held up. Yeah. Um, in the midst of this, Andrew, you also um, decided to make the commitment to be a certified B Corp. Can you talk a little bit about that and in, in why? Yeah, well, um, to be perfectly honest, um, being an entrepreneur is the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> I like to take on challenges, yeah. but What has kept me going from the beginning is the mission and really caring about the product that we're putting to market and um, deeply believing that we're filling a need. And so when the opportunity came up to um, join the B Corp movement and certify, I felt that it would bring a lot of strength to our already underlying mission focus. Um, so it was pretty tough. It took, it took like two and a half years for us to sort through all of the requirements and develop the documentation to show that both internally, the way that we work as a team, you know, was meeting the highest social responsibility standards, as well as um, having in place agreements with all of our suppliers and partners um, and right. measuring things like our carbon footprint and offsetting um, our you know, global warming impact. So it was quite an undertaking, but I really love to learn and um, to get under the hood like that and see how you can really put in place um, standard operating procedures that are repeatable and can be sustained and can really um, roll up into a positive impact was inspiring. So I'm loving being part of the B Corp community. And we're also a certified California green business. Right. So all of our um, office operations are, for example, um, low energy uh, use, low water use. You know, we compost and recycle and, you know, recycle cartridges. And, you know, we don't have to worry about commuting. So that's good. That's right. That cuts that cuts it down right there. You can check that off the list. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, when when you were again, building the business and back maybe in the early 2010s or whatever. Um, talk to us a little bit about financing. I mean, obviously this requires um, cash. Um, you had a co-manufacturer relationship. Uh, they don't do that for free and probably overseas, they don't do it without cash on the barrel head. Um, how, how did you handle it? Yeah, that was the toughest thing, you know, to, to be able to afford orders and the upfront costs. Um you know, in the beginning, um, I'd have to pay for the whole order up front before it left uh, whatever the country wow. of origin was. Yeah. 
So, you know, in the early days, those orders were in the tens of thousands, but, you know, as we got deeper into the business, you know, they were much bigger orders, you know, in the hundreds of thousands, right? Yep. And so to come up with that and manage the cash flow uh, was really, really tough. And so I looked at bringing on um, investors to help with that and, oh, pitch di- different angel groups and um, investor circle. Um, and this was, you know, in 2010, 2012 and in there, but there really wasn't a deep understanding that um, the plastic free market movement was going to develop into something that was worth investing in. And all they could look at is that steel was a lot more expensive than plastic. So they kept wondering why my cost of goods was so high. And could we just, it's just such a cute brand. Why can't we just like, you know, we could have your cost of goods and we just need to put Good. plastic in there. <laughs> Oh, did you just hear my whole deck? It's <laughs> just not going to work. I mean, our whole claim to fame and our brand um, uh, revolves around that, you know, we've been plastic free since the beginning, okay. you know, not just our products, but our packaging and the way we ship, you know, we use craft tape instead of plastic tape and we use dunnage paper instead of plastic pillows. It's like kind of our secret sauce, right? right. Sure. It's not a huge amount of IP in what we're doing. It's how we're doing it that really um, makes Eco Lunchbox very special. So um, I, I had to get a line of credit and tie it out to my house. Luckily, I had some equity, right? I don't yeah. know what entrepreneurs yeah. would do if they don't have equity in some kind of a, you know, property asset. Yeah. It's, it's a, a, a common source of funding for uh, entrepreneurs. And that in if, if friends and family, if you're lucky enough to have, you know, friends and family that could stand, you know, to the loss if they had to take it, um, that's pretty, pretty much. But when when you go beyond that, kind of the next, whatever the next level is, um, there's also very few businesses that as you grow, your cash, your cash flow becomes better, greater in total, but also the demands on that cash flow for whether it's you know, more production. Your so your so your production run went from ten thousand to a hundred thousand. That's great. Well, guess what? That means you have to come up with the you know fifty percent or seventy five or one hundred percent of a hundred thousand this time around instead of the ten thousand you could actually maybe had in the bank and could could pay it right. So it it just it just continues in that sense. And well, I was very fortunate that I had developed a strong relationship um, with my Indian partner the factory making those original goods. And so they offered me 30% down, 30% upon shipment, and then the remainder uh, net 30 after it landed in my warehouse. But that's pretty unheard of. Right, that's pretty unheard of. They like (laughs) you, they like you, yeah. So yeah, without that, um, we would have just slowed to a crawl. Um, You know, and then you just, then I would be trying to order, at the smallest volume possible, but then I'd be overpaying on shipping because I wouldn't be filling containers, right? So you want to order, you want to order as big as you can so that you can fill a container so that your amortized shipping costs, you yep. know, work out really well on a unit basis. But then you have to be able to deal with the cash flow issues. <laughs> so yeah, there there were definitely some sleepless nights in there, but I never got into like the whole you know, credit card check thing. I mean, I've talked to plenty of entrepreneurs that, you know, how you sometimes get those offers and they, oh. you, 
Yes, receivables, financing, um, yeah. other great, um, yes, yeah. I didn't have the stomach for that. I just felt like, you know, if we have to move a little slower, you know, I'm going to do the best I can to keep from going out of stock. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to get so stressed out. Uh, but that, that is a huge challenge. Uh, there are a lot more options now, though, um, than in 2010 um, for inventory-based businesses. And, I mean, I'm sure... You probably heard of Kick Further. Yes. Kind of, yeah, and my, I get all sorts of offers now. So I think that the um, the landscape has changed when it comes to access to financing. There, there yeah, there was a it was a time probably when you started actually. So about I'm going to say probably 2008 2009, where suddenly household goods, food, beverage became kind of unsexy. There was like the after the dot com crash, and then tech came back. It was like what are you talking about? What kind of returns are you talking about over what period? No, we're not even. And then boom, if like 2010, 2011 or whatever, all of a sudden it started to get sexy again. And then you look at mission-based. So there's like your, your mission-based and you've got that going forward. And that perks up the interest, I think, of investors versus your counterpart who is actually just trying to market her mother's or grandmother's brownie recipe in, you know, in, in gluten-free, right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there's a difference, but I think, yeah, there's more opportunities and, um, and clever ways, plus some changes in the laws with regarding qual- what qualified quote unquote investors are. I don't even know now. It's like, if you can write a check, you're a qualified investor. Um, but it certainly gives more opportunities, I think, for, for entrepreneurs. Um, yeah. And I should mention, we've done two Kickstarters that kind of escaped. That's my right. Mind. Yep. So yep. we launched our Blue Water Bento collection um, with the uh, silicon embossed lids and the steel bases in 2015 on, yep. on Kickstarter. And because we have such a compelling, um, earth-friendly story, um, we did really well uh, with it and it helped with marketing. I have to say, though, that Kickstarters are so much work. I mean, that amount of marketing effort was incredible. But at that point in our business development, it was a great way for us to get the word out and also to pre-finance, you know, our minimum order quantity. And then we did it one more time too, um, to bring to market um, another element of the Blue Water Bento collection. And we've done pre-sales on our Shopify online store using um, pre-sale apps that um, you can connect on the back end of Shopify. Uh, So that's good, but it is, it's a lot of marketing dollars. So you have to kind of weigh, weigh that, whether you want to, you know, invest so much. There's an aspect of that, Sandra, of also by the, because you have like-minded mission-based people with a certain set of lifestyle criteria, whatever your quote unquote tribe um, of that helps to energize your tribe as well, as they might've purchased. One of the challenges of, of selling something that is not perishable to people is that they don't have to necessarily buy it again. They might buy new ones. They might buy different sizes. Maybe they lose one, but you get that tribe putting out something new. You get that tribe going, talking to other people about, Hey, by the way, I do this. Are you still putting your kids, you know, sandwiches in bags? Come on. We, we gotta, you know, we gotta do this. So there's that aspect, which makes it as much, I think almost a marketing tool as a finance tool. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then the other thing that we've been really successful with is uh, doing collabs with 
businesses that are selling to a similar um, market market segment as we are, but they have a different product that it's a non-compete, but some right. kind of right. only consumer products business. And we would ask them, you know, hey, can you help us get the word out about this new product? And we'll help, you know, share with our community about the cool things that you're doing. And whether it was giveaways or um, blog content collabs with backlinks, um, you know, or the right. Kickstarter or or even emails, you know, we'd send out a direct email and we'd say, hey, and our friends over at yeah. <laughs> this like awesome sale, you know, and then they would do the same for us. And so all of that can be done, you know, without um, advertising dollars. Right. You could, everybody, uh, everybody helps to co-promote because, you know, who, who you got, you know, who your audience is, they know who there is, but they probably, the circles probably collide all the time um, between that mission with mission-based businesses. I think that's, that's part of the way, the way it is. It's amazing to me always is how people will look at, you know, you had an epiphany about waste and what was going on. And you have other people who get into business because they or someone in their family has a medical challenge or they have an allergy to nuts or whatever, or to something. And they, and they just go through this whole, um, the whole thing of trying to solve that problem, which I think because there's a quote unquote mission attached there, it gives them an advantage again, over somebody trying to just like market their, their grandma's brownie recipe. I mean, just, it's a different, different way of looking at business, I think. Right. Well, the mission has kept me going through thick and thin, you know, when I've been, you know, super challenged and wondering, like, can I go on? <laughs> you know, it's the it's seriously, though, I laugh, but seriously, you come back to the mission. Why did I start this, you know, in the first place? And is there a still still a need? And are we serving it? And then it's like, OK, deep breath, carry on. <laughs> and, and, and how has being an author changed things? Well, for me, it was kind of like coming full circle. Um I just grew up with uh, ink in my blood. Have you heard that expression? Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as a former newspaper journalist and, you know, my, my grandfather and my, you know, great grandmother and their writers just going back in my family. And that's always been my first passion. Um, I think it's one of the things that I do best. Um, you know, I figured out how to read a balance sheet and a profit and loss, and I'm pretty good at it now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't the first thing that I, um, I, you know, really enjoyed doing and did well. And so to be able to write about my journey as an entrepreneur in the book and, you know, educate, inspire, and then empower people, um, to, to make better choices around plastic free, it really warms my heart. So the, the book is, is I'd say uplifting. Um, I, you know, so I really try to inspire people with the possibility yeah. that we've got this. Okay. You know, it does seem like drops in the bucket. Um, and, you know, not only do I talk about specific things that people can do in every room in their house, but I also have like citizen activist challenges at the end of each um, room. So like, for example, I gave the example of um, the plastic toothpaste tubes. Right. I don't know if it's a pet peeve yours, but every time I go to the dentist, they give me like a plastic sack, like full little plastic. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a little sample you know, thing. Like, could you just stop? <laughs> <laughs> like really nicely. It's so sweet of you to give me all this stuff, but you know, a lot of this goes in the trash and, you know, just sort of starting to spread the word. And then also I think if people really get into it and are motivated um, working at a local policy level to look at, for example, you know, are restaurants allowed to um, send food out in styrofoam containers? Should there be some, you know, rules and guidance around that? And same right. thing, people use plastic straws and, 
you know, the throwaway plastic forks. So there are all sorts of ways if people can access, you know, changes in their own life that they can ripple out from there. And, and, and take some, some part in it, even if it's a small part, it's fine. Mm -hmm. It helps, you know, um, what sort of next down the road without, you know, don't need to spill any secrets or whatever, but what are you, what are you looking to do now or product wise, or where do you think it's going with the new normal? Well, um, I think that the tide really is turning, you know, and even though um, the demand in the market for our containers, which are typically used for to-go meals, as I was saying, to school and to work, people, you know, are definitely going to be returning to school. I think, as you said, um, most people will probably end up in hybrid uh, work at home, go to the office situations, and so there won't be um, as much demand for containers in terms of packing food to uh, to work, but um, restaurants are going to start uh, transitioning to reusable takeout container systems. Um, you know, I, I I don't know about you, but I find it very unpleasant um, to get expensive restaurant food made from organic, awesome ingredient ingredients. You know, right. in yeah. kind of a heap and some sort of a cheap plasticky. Ugh, container. Yeah. 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 Or in styrofoam worse. My God. Yeah. Right. So I see, you know, universities, um, corporate campuses, um, restaurants, caters, um, that the whole reusables movement will become much more normalized. Um, and it won't just be the on the, the burden of the individual to think ahead and bring their own container that these containers will be provided as parts of service solutions. Right. Uh, so one of the things um, that I'm working on is expanding Eco Lunchbox and um, so that you know we can meet that need as well. It can actually be a marketing tool is um if you have con- you know the permanence containers with the restaurant logo with right and you're gonna just it just prompts you to go back to the re- take it back for the restaurant. If you had to do a credit thing or something on it, fine. Like, you know, we you know, do with cans and bottles. You could you could do that. It would it would work out. I don't think most people would be offended by that. Before. Right. Well, before the pandemic, um, systems like this were already getting started in some of the major coastal cities like San Francisco um, and like Yelp headquarters in San Francisco. You know, employees could check out a container and then um, go get their takeout in a reusable container. And then there was like a return bin at the office where they could, you know, put their scraped out container um, and taken away by a commercial dishwashing service and returned, you know, as new fresh containers for the next day. But now that everyone is, you know, so disparate in their working, you know, situations, um, how these systems will work has to be reimagined. So I, I hope to be part of that. I think, yeah, I think it'd be a, a lot of fun. Um, Sandra, you know, we, we ask our guests to, um, to try for their fellow entrepreneurs to pick out um, a big challenge, the biggest challenge. And by the way, you're allowed to use the pandemic if you want. We've talked a little bit about it already, but um, you know, a challenge that you had in building the business that was really tough, but you overcame it. Can you share something with us? that's a, that is a tough one. Um, you know, I just started the business from scratch. Um, and so I didn't really know anything about any aspect of running a business. Um, and so I have overcome pretty much every single challenge that I have faced by asking for help. Um, and I'm really good at asking questions. 
I was a professional question <laughs> yes. asker. Yes, I yes, I will say you are very good at asking questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't even need my reporter's notebook. No. <laughs> so um, you know, whether it was marketing or financing or you know, what kind of a food safety certificate I needed in order to legally import to the United States, um, whatever it was that stumped me, um, I surprised a lot of people who I didn't know by just kind of calling them up out of the I'm going to say Rolodex just to be fun. Yeah, Rolodex. <laughs> yeah, I had one, of course. Yeah, um, just like, hey, randomly, like, it's me, I'm Sandra. And, you know, I know you don't know me, but um, I'm really confused about this. And it was amazing, like, how many nice people I've met. And a lot of them, you know, I'm still really tight with. And they were a little surprised at first. And some people, you know, thought, oh, my gosh, she's trying to steal my trade secrets. <laughs> and then they're like, no, she's just kind of like actually, you know, wanting to connect and has some questions. And that is, that's like my hugest is advice. You know, we do not have to pretend that we know how to do everything and that we're better together. And if you have questions, just just ask. And I, I think it makes it a lot more fun, too. I, I think I, I remember when when um, we first met and I was, you know, trying to pitch for your business and we went to some lovely little cafe in um, I forget where it was. Pete Myers. Yeah. Rockridge. OK. And I pulled out my reporter's notebook, which for folks that don't know what a reporter's notebook looks like, it looks like a it's it's a very thin lined notebook with spiral at the top that you can stick in your pocket because that's what you had to do when you were journalists taking notes. You had to do that. And I pulled that out and you were so impressed. You were like, oh, wow, you must be okay. And it was like, well, yeah, I've used one of these for, for years. I used to do news. I used to do stuff, you know, uh, right. But it was great. Yeah, the reporter's notebook. And I still use them all the time. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. I can't get used to doing the notes on the phone. First of all, I think it's rude to sit there and look at the keyboard, which I have to do. I can't, I didn't learn how to text that way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's so handy to just have it and just jot down, jot down, jot down, and then get the way I'm surprised they still make them, but they do. So, <laughs> so, Hey, I want to take a uh, opportunity to thank you so much for, I, I know it's taken a while to get to do this, uh, but I'm so happy to have you on the show and to talk about eco lunchboxes. Uh, it's ecolunchboxes.com, and you can also find them at a number of great retail outlets and on Amazon as well. But go to the website because you want to see the great writing and the great photography, and you can get the book on the website too, right? You can order. Absolutely, yeah. We sell the book um, a la carte, and we also have it um, coupled with products. Yeah. Oh, okay. A bundle. Oh, I like that. Oh, a yeah. bundle. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks, Sandra. I really appreciate it. And I also want to thank the rest of you for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast, part of the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, health, and wellness, or even small goods, you should be a part of the Next Level Brands community. Education, resources, workshops, and founder coaching. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. I'm Steve Clear, and we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.